0: Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie, a mom to a Mito fighter. On our podcast, Energy in Action, we talk all things Mito, and I'm glad you're here to learn and to be part of our community. Hey everyone, I am so excited to have you meet our very first couple here on Energy in Action. I'd like you to meet the Bartels. Hey guys, why don't you just go ahead
1: and introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Jake, uh, Jake Bartel.
0: And I'm Cammie, Jake's wife. I'm just so excited to have you guys on here. Like I said, you're our first couple and you're also our first young couple. So why don't you go ahead and just give everybody kind of the cliff notes on how you met and how long you've been together. And we'll go from
1: there. Well, we met at college. I was a senior and came in sophomore and we met and, you know, it's been...
2: Almost uh, eight years that eight, we've been yeah. together, but we've been married for over three Wow. Okay. And what college were you guys at? We went to Texas Christian University, TCU, and we were supposed to be blind dates. And then our friend just never set us up, even though we both agreed to it. But we still met um, at my sorority formal. So it all worked out. Oh, that's so fun.
0: So somebody thought you guys should be set up, and then it just never came to fruition. But the universe just put you together anyways, huh? Yes. Yes. Oh wow, I, I really like that. So, what were your majors at at, at uh, TCU?
1: I was a political science major,
2: and I was in what's called strategic communication, which is essentially like public relations, advertising, and marketing.
0: Wow. All right. So it's, you guys have been together for 8 and you've been married for 3. So Kemi, mean, what's it like being married to somebody who has uh, has a rare disease or health concerns that are just sometimes can be overwhelming?
2: Yeah, it is really difficult at times. So our our situation is kind of unique because we didn't know he had Milos, a mitochondrial disease, until five months after we were already married. So that's when he had a seizure and we were in the hospital and that's how we found out about the diagnosis. And I think for a while I really struggled with it. I was in therapy and things because I think when you get married, there's almost a certain sense of assurance that you feel of you found someone and now you can build your life together and you start talking about a house and kids and things like that and having a a rare diagnosis like this especially so suddenly is just really shocking and it kind of makes you realize that nothing in life is guaranteed and that you just really do have to appreciate every day together so when the diagnosis initially happened, it was definitely a really big struggle for me. And we got married kind of young, I was 22. And so I was going through this going through my husband having this very rare diagnosis that no one knew a lot about. Not a lot of my friends were married at the time. So it was a very, I think, isolating experience at the beginning. And luckily, we've found a community, we've been involved in the UMDF, the United Mitochondrial Disease Foundation. And so I've been able to connect with more caregivers, but it's definitely been a very unique experience to go through.
0: Wow, I'm silenced here because I, was under the assumption, which we all know you shouldn't do, that, Jake, you were diagnosed um, before you went to college. So let's let's just back up a little bit. So was there any precursors now that you think back onto this, or was this just really something that just came out of the blue and just put you into a completely
1: different world? Well, I started to lose my hearing at about age 16, 16, 17, I actually refused to get hearing aids at that point, honestly, out of embarrassment because, you know, being a 16 year old, losing your hearing, you don't want to be, I mean, I I grew up in the hearing world and uh, you didn't, I didn't want to be known as all of a sudden uh, someone with hearing loss uh, because we had no idea why I was losing my hearing. Uh, Everyone blamed it on me listening to music too loud, but I turned out, uh, I mean, I eventually found out I had M.I.D.D. and M.I.L.A.S., but M.I.L.A.S. also was the main thing that I suffer from, but losing my hearing at 16, I didn't get hearing aids until I believe age 22 uh, because I was just so embarrassed.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear you say that. I can't even imagine not having full hearing for 6 years. That had to have just been almost did you do you think maybe you were going through more of a depression than a rebellion state?
1: Could be a combination of both. I know uh, the first set of hearing aids I got were the in-ear concealable hearing aids because it was able to cover enough hearing loss at that moment, but over time it's gotten much worse and uh, currently I wear over the year larger hearing aids, but without them I'd probably fall in the category of deaf.
0: Wow. So you made it all the way through college without having any sort of hearing device?
1: Yes, uh, I'm focused on reading lips, re-pe- asking for repetition, and I was able to make it through uh, through undergrad. Later on, I for sure needed uh, the hearing aids to be able to uh, partake in. Full everyday life.
0: Oh, definitely. Are you glad now that you're just like, I'll take whatever I can so I can hear it all?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm now at the point in which I'm old enough to know that, you know, it's it's okay that I have these hearing aids. It, you know, if people don't like them, that's, that's on them. That's on them. That is true.
0: Wow. So the hearing loss started and then you had your first seizure
2: at 22. 27. 27. So he lost his hearing, obviously, when he was 16. And at the time, like he said, no one really had an answer for what that meant or why that was caused. And then right around our wedding in 2019, we got married in May of 2019. And he was diagnosed with diabetes, which he was a very fit guy and not that that has much to do with it but it it wasn't there was no clear answer on why he got diagnosed with that and then a few months later he had his first seizure so that was October 1st of 2019 he was actually in the middle of the night he came home had a really bad headache during the day I personally didn't think much of it and I was just like just go to bed you'll sleep it off it's fine and then I was woken up by him having a seizure in the middle of the night, which was truly the most terrifying thing I've ever gone through. And so I called 911, we went to the hospital, and I I actually had a fluke seizure when I was a child, so I kind of thought that that's what this was. I was like, oh, they'll get checked out, they won't see anything, they'll send us home, it's fine. And then they did, of course, the normal test, the CT scans, the MRIs. And they came back and said, he has brain swelling, there's something going on, we need to admit him. And I am just in like full hysterics at this point. I'm five months married, 22 years old, and I'm like, what is going on? And so we were in the hospital for about two weeks. And at the time they were going through every possible diagnosis they could find to explain the seizure and the brain swelling and just some of the other symptoms he was exhibiting and they essentially process of elimination they determined it was some some virus and so they were kind of treating him for that and thankfully there was a resident there at the time and she she kind of came to talk to us and she said look, I don't, I don't think you have this, but I have seen one case of something called Milas. I saw, saw it in children back in London. And she mentioned, you know, she thought it was because he had hearing loss, he had diabetes, he had the seizure, and he had high lactic acidosis. She was like, this, it looks like it could be this, but it's super rare. I don't think you have it, but we might still want to get the test just in case. And we decided, well, there's there hasn't been a clear answer. I wasn't fully convinced that he had the virus they said he did. So we went ahead with the test. And luckily, over the two weeks he was in the hospital, he started to improve the IV fluids, something helped, and he was actually able to come home. And so for a few months after the hospital, I just kind of forgot all about it. I was like, that was a weird time, maybe he had a virus or something, but he's fine now. And then it was December of 2019 or January of 2020, we got the official diagnosis that he did, in fact, have Mila. So I'm so thankful to the resident who discovered that. But also it was just everyone was telling us that this was so rare. There was no way he would have it. They said that no one got diagnosed this late in life. And so it was definitely very shocking to get the news. But that's kind of the full story of how we found out about his diagnosis.
0: Wow. Were you guys alone? To, are, we, are your families close by? Or I'm just trying to figure out your support system here because Cami, my
2: heart as a mom is just
0: breaking wide open for you right now.
2: Thank you. Luckily, we have a really good support system. His mom lived in Chicago at the time, so she was at the hospital with me. and I'm so thankful because there were some days in that hospital where the doctors were talking to me that I just was breaking down. And she was the one to kind of help step in and say like, Hey, like, we need to stop this conversation right now. So I'm so grateful to her. And Jake's dad flew out. He was in Arizona at the time. So his dad flew out to be with us. Uh, my parents—they didn't live in Chicago, but they were calling me all the time. We had a lot of friends who came by the hospital and played board games with us while we were there. So we definitely had a very strong support system. And to this day, we have really great friends who really understand—well, as much as they can understand about Mila's—they're so here to support us. And um, we actually moved to Arizona to be closer to Jake's family. His whole family lives down here, so. Uh, We definitely have a really great support system. Wow, that is great to hear. So you were
0: diagnosed in Chicago then? Yes. Wow, okay. You are very fortunate that you had the, the resident, like you said, who was just piqued enough in curiosity to say, I don't think this is it, but let's just check it out.
2: Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, and it took a few months for you to get the genetic study back.
1: Yes, yes, and I got a subsequent genetic test to double check on the milas because um, one genetic test just didn't seem to be enough. Uh, be and so uh, we got different heteroplasmy levels on both genetic tests. Heteroplasmy being the I believe the exhibit of how much it really shows up in your body. It moved from 46% all the way to 92%, I believe. That's a
0: huge variant.
1: Yeah. And so we basically got a double confirmation on,
0: Okay. And now now that you've been diagnosed, has anybody else in your family gone through any testing or looked to see if maybe they potentially have the gene or a mutation of
1: such? Um, my mom ended up uh, getting genetic tests also. Uh, she exhibits much less symptoms. She's uh, coming on, I believe, age 63. So she she has been diagnosed with it, but no major issues. I know it's maternally inherited, but uh, no one else in the family's uh, been confirmed.
0: Wow, so your mom is symptom-free at the time?
1: She does have diabetes, but her hearing is normal and she's doing well.
0: Oh, well, that's that's really good to hear. So I have to ask, because most mito patients don't do well in the heat and you guys went from the windy city which is also challenging for mito patients right down into the absolute hottest place in the country how how have you managed that
1: <laughs> i really actually enjoy the heat because a lot of my body gets extremely cold my feet particularly my hands will also get extremely cold but i actually say that it's beneficial for me.
2: (laughs) I second that. He absolutely loves the heat. He's constantly cold. If it gets below like 80, he's like, I'm cold. (laughs) I'm like, it's so hot. But I remember one doctor in Chicago, because he was complaining that it was cold in the hospital, they mentioned, well, because your mitochondria is like the main main way that your body builds the, I think it's called like brown fat or something that helps keep you, you warm. He doesn't have that necessarily. Like his body struggles to produce the type of fat that like insulates your body. So he is actually colder than most people. Um, So he heat has been really well, really great for him. Wow. Boy, that is, that's a
0: fact I've never heard before, but it makes absolute sense the way you just explained that. So, wow, that's so interesting. So now who like, where do you guys go for care in Arizona? Where's your doctoring place? What a great question.
1: (laughs) That is uh, very difficult. We actually have not found a doctor that really is able to see us because many of the doctors, uh, they focus on children uh, with mitochondrial disease if they exhibit any symptoms and There's insurance issues and being able to get a uh, appointment with those children doctors at this point because I didn't fully get diagnosed until much later in life. Uh, They uh, refused to see me. And so uh, I've found occasional neurological doctors. I've seen few doctors in which they're able to, if I have a stroke-like episode, they can do an L-arginine infusion, which has been helpful. But unfortunately it's just, it's very lacking in resources in Arizona. Definitely. Well, it's,
0: it's, it's lacking all across the country, but yeah, I would agree. Arizona is one of the places we have a lot of patients who call and ask if we know of any care providers for adults, because you are right, it is very hard to find adult providers because most people don't get diagnosed at this age. So you're you're fortunate that you got diagnosed, but it is a tricky, tricky place to be.
2: Yeah. yeah, I will say, as being the caregiver and a wife of someone who has this, it has been incredibly frustrating for me. And I, I don't mean any disrespect to people in the medical fields, but I have to carry... Notes in my wallet and notes on my phone, and Casey ever goes into the hospital because there's certain ways you have to treat Milas, and the typical ways if he has a stroke or a seizure, you can't treat it in the same ways that you treat someone just having a seizure or stroke in a different different way, and so it, it is kind of frustrating to me because I have to show them what to do, and and then they normally, thankfully, a lot of times they listen to me, which I appreciate, but. It, it's sometimes frustrating that I'm going through the immer- emotional turmoil of my husband being in the hospital. And now I have to basically educate the the staff on what they should be doing and how they should be treating him. And some people kind of look at us like, you have Mila's like, I only heard about that in my textbook once. And I think that's that's why we became so passionate about wanting to share our story, because This isn't something that's in a textbook that you're not going to hear about. These are real people who need treatment and need a plan. And I just wish that there were more people out there, especially in terms of adult doctors, who knew about this and knew how to treat it at least to some level and we we had a really great doctor in Chicago who knew a little bit about Mila she had a few Mila's patients um so she's been incredibly helpful but yeah since we moved to Arizona it's been just a really big struggle of uh doctors who know about Mila's only being pediatric doctors and not being able to see Jake and adult doctors not understanding me less. And so it's just, it's definitely been a struggle. And hopefully working with UMDF and Mito Action, we can hopefully make some headway there. But yeah, it's definitely been difficult.
0: Definitely. I I do love your passion about that. I I agree. And just telling these stories, and that's why we do the podcast, is we find so many providers listen in and hear of these struggles. And it it sort of breaks their spirit a little bit too, because they're trying to find the patients to help. And it's almost like that, that old, you know, adage of misconnections, right? They know, they know they're out there, but it's hard to get everybody matched up. And the patients know there's physicians out there, but it's hard to get matched up. And do you find like the pediatric doctors are willing to help? I don't want to say counsel or educate the adult doctors. Or is there any way that you guys could bridge some of that care so that they could at least call and ask another professional for help instead of putting all that responsibility on you
2: as the caregiver? I don't think we've found that yet. I'm sure people are willing to. Um, just with us moving here, we just haven't really been able to make those connections yet. Luckily, we went to the MITO conference back in June, and so we did get connected with a few doctors who or at least a little closer to us. Um, I think there was one in San Diego. There was one in Arizona. So we're working to build those connections right now, but it's definitely not, it's not as easy as just looking up a primary care physician online and just going to anyone. So
0: no, but sure isn't. I know there's a, a great doctor at UCLA who specializes in uh, Milos and mitochondrial disease, Dr. Stanley Nelson. So there's one that you can think about. He's phenomenal. And he's one of those people who the minute he hears something interesting, he just wants to dissect it all and like pick it apart and figure it out and... I love people who want to make a puzzle into a bigger puzzle, but yet put it back together. <laughs> I don't like people who just take everything apart and then walk away. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we have enough of that. So so tell me about like um, like your work-life balance, Jake. Are you able to work? Do you have, a, do, what is it that you, you
1: do? Well, I actually, when I was diagnosed, I became a licensed Attorney in the state of Illinois and District of Columbia, but that's uh, right after the pandemic started. Uh, I had a reevaluation on what I want to do with my life because I believe in trying to make an impact, and I my favorite job growing up was being a camp counselor, and I knew I wanted to help kids and uh, so I ended up going back to school uh, and getting my master's in elementary education and I graduated very recently and I'm going to be teaching. So I'm very excited.
0: Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. What grade level do you want to teach?
1: I'm going to actually be teaching sixth grade science and social studies.
0: Lord help you. That is a mean age. <laughs> that is those those kids are mean. I'm just gonna say it. I've survived three of them on my own. My own so wow. Good for you. My oldest daughter is a teacher and she's a third grade teacher and some of the stories she comes home with and we always look forward to story time with Ashley because classroom stories are just endless and Good for I love that you just kind of took that time to look in, inward and say see where your passion was and how you could put that back out into um a vocation. That's that's a that's amazing. Good for you. Thank you. So do you start next fall?
1: I uh, yeah, I'm starting in a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um very excited and I something that I kind of reflected on is I feel like a lot of people probably did during the pandemic is you want to do with your life and so i definitely took that into account is what i want to get out of this and especially after the diagnosis because um, one of the first things that i did once i got diagnosed was i looked up life expectancy and i know i'm intend to live What they end up saying online, but uh, when I ended up looking it up, it said I would make it to 35, and so that was one of the things that kind of gave me a lot of reflection. Is you know how much time do I have left? But also, I'm I'm gonna beat the numbers. That's my goal.
0: Oh man, do I love that, Jake! They told us our son had a life expectancy of ten to twelve, and he's twenty-two, almost twenty-three. Do I know how or why we've done that? Not entirely, but I I know that the research that's gone into mitochondrial disease, specifically Milos, um, I think I think you've got a good shot at breaking those breaking those records. So good for you! I like that. As I'm hearing this, I'm just wondering, as a as a young couple, how do you guys structure your, your work-life balance and making sure that every day just counts?
2: I don't know. I would say we've always been good about, um, we tend to have dinner together most nights if we can, and we watch TV together, some of our favorite shows. And we're really intentional about not being on our phone a lot. I guess we haven't been great about that lately, but <laughs> we try not to be on our phones when we're together so that we can really just be in each other's presence and we take date night very seriously so either Friday or Saturday depending on our schedules that week we will have a whole night no phones we'll go to a movie or go to dinner uh this past weekend we went to top golf which was super fun so i think a lot of it comes down to just being really intentional with the time that we have together um, and just making sure that we are creating that time for each other. And I think that I don't think that's really exclusive to me or mitochondrial. I think that's just in general, if you're a couple, I would advocate for just making sure you have intentional time together. And definitely when, when things kind of come up more, I, I would say, of course, Milos is a part of his active life, right? He he takes, what is it, like 30 pills a day to try and manage his symptoms. And it's something that we're always talking about or just noticing. But a lot of times he presents like someone who is a normal, almost 30 year old. He goes to work and we do our groceries and our laundry and our chores together. But it's the times when he has a stroke-like episode and we do have to go to the hospital to get an infusion or the times where he might notice that his foot is feeling numb or he has tingling in his hands. And those are the times where it's not normal. And we can't even pretend that Milas isn't something that affects our life. And those are the times that I probably take more time to spend with him, that I cancel phone calls with my friends, that I, I don't go to my workout class because I would rather spend time with him. And when he's in the hospital, I take that time off. I take that time off of work and I'm there with him. One, because I have to be his advocate because they I have to tell them what to do sometimes. But two, because things change so fast with Mila's and it is a progressive disease. And so you just have to be, very watchful of it. And I just want to be there for him as much as I can. So I think it's kind of trying to be a normal couple as much as we can, but also just taking even more time when things do happen. Oh, that is
0: really good advice. I I like what you said about just trying to do everything you can as a normal couple, but always remembering that, at times you have to pivot, right? And just, you have to get through that and then you go back to where you want to be. I think I think that's great. I know it's sometimes it's a struggle for people to get back to where they want to be. They kind of get stuck in, well, kind of, I call it the Eeyore, you know, from Winnie the Pooh where everybody's just sad and mopey and it's kind of easy to get stuck there. So I love that you guys are very intentional about, not staying there and and moving forward with things. So good for you. Cammy. what do you do for your vocation? What is it that occupies your time?
2: I work in marketing and I'm very thankful right now that I work from home. So I am able to be here for him a little bit more and very thankful for things like unlimited PTO and just a really good manager and good team who Um, understands what he's going through to a certain extent. So they understand if I have to say, hey, like I have to go to a doctor's appointment with him, like things like that. I'm very upfront when this happens. Um, I mean, ever since his first seizure, it happened on a Tuesday. So I had to be upfront with my manager and say, my husband just had a seizure. I'm in the hospital. Don't know when I'll get home. And so I've always been pretty open with it in terms of in the workplace, because I would rather the people I work with know what is going on and know that my husband has this and I need to be available to him when it when and if something happens then to try and like handle it when it comes up. So I'm very open about it, I'm very thankful that people are understanding of it. But I guess your original question was what I do. So yes, I'm in marketing.
0: <laughs> I love your answer. <laughs>
2: And you're very lucky to have such a
0: great work environment that's just so accommodating. I wish I wish that wasn't the exception. I wish that was the norm so that everybody could have a better work life balance. And you're right. One thing that came out of the pandemic was everybody reevaluating and adjusting. And I think we all figured out that the nine to five grind wasn't the way to go. So wow, I'm just astounded that you got diagnosed right at the start of the pandemic. That had to have just been Awful. I mean, here's a curveball, but we can't offer you any resources right now because the world is literally frozen.
2: It was a lot. I actually, that reminded me something that you asked him earlier that I wanted to comment on is kind of, you were talking about how it's hard to not be stuck when things like this happen. And I would say for us, it, it took a long time to get unstuck. We both did our own individual therapies. We did some stuff together because, Going through a diagnosis like this is not easy. He had to go through it and accept it on his own. I had to go through being now a caregiver and the possibility of losing my husband. He mentioned the life expectancy a little earlier in this conversation, and that was something that I really struggled with. And so it took years, like a year of therapy for both of us to really kind of come to terms with this and come to terms with what this meant for our life and what this meant for our future and how can we control what we can, but accept what we can't. And I think it's something that we constantly have to work on, but I will definitely say that getting past that stuckness is not easy and it doesn't come very quickly. So if anyone's listening and they're, they're in that phase or they they've experienced it, like my heart goes out to you because it's not, it's not something you can quickly bounce back from. It's not something where it's just like write your gratitude for the day or like think positively. And it's not something that can be fixed. It's something that you just have to work through. And I really advocate for therapy with that or doing something like that that is going to help you come to terms with it.
0: That is sound advice. Do you feel like sometimes it's one of those situations where you you feel like you're in a good place and then you kind of step. Go backwards a few steps and catch yourself, and then have to consciously make that choice to move forward again? Or do you feel like you guys are always just really staying in the move forward phase?
2: I don't want to keep talking, uh, but I will say for me, (laughs) it definitely is the like steps backward, step forward type thing. But
1: you always, for me, I feel like you have to recognize that you'll get. Uh, hit and knocked down a lot more uh, with the disease at different moments in their life. And it's difficult at times for me, especially to recognize that I need to, you know, wake up the next day and just try again. And that's almost kind of the mindset that I've been trying to take is, you know, maybe Maybe the mealist was mean to me today, but hopefully not tomorrow. And so trying to just recognize that there is still a shot for the next day.
0: Wow. I love what you just said, that it was mean today, but maybe not tomorrow. And I think that is, man, that is a good perspective to have. All right, guys, time to to change the levity of this conversation although I could I think I I think we could have a very long conversation if otherwise I'm just going to ask you guys some fun what I call rapid fire questions and I want both of you to answer independently of one another but if you say at the same time that's fine you can jinx each other but um, what's your favorite TV show?
1: Uh, ooh, uh, <laughs> depends on the moon I'm in. Uh, if Positive Moon, Big Bang Theory.
2: Excellent. I was going to say Big Bang Theory or Stranger Things. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so in
0: Big Bang Theory, what character do you guys uh, feel like you can identify with the best?
1: For me, Sheldon.
2: <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> Sheldon. Um. <laughs> I do agree. Well, maybe more like Howard for you. Howard, a mix of Howard and Sheldon for him. Bernadette for me, maybe.
0: I would say Bernadette for you. <laughs> Amy Farrell. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That's funny. All right. They're all great. They are all great. It's That was just a really great cast. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh.
0: All right, so I alluded to this one earlier. Your favorite soft drink, Coke or Pepsi, or neither?
1: Diet Coke for me.
0: Diet Coke. Yeah,
2: I don't drink any soda, so
0: water. You have no soda? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh! I don't know if I could even start the day without an ice cold Diet Pepsi. That's just me, though.
2: I also don't drink coffee, so you're uncaffeinated. Yes, I'm uncaffeinated. Oh my god! How do you? Where do you find all your zip? I don't know. <laughs> when I find out, I'll let you know. You should sell
0: that when you find out. Wow. I, mean, I know. It was
2: like million dollar business right there. Right there.
0: Wow. So which one is your favorite season or holiday?
2: I love Christmas. And I if I was back in Chicago, I'd say summer was my favorite season. But now that I'm in Arizona and it's so hot in the summer and you can't do anything, I'm going to change that to fall. I do love fall. Nice.
1: Uh, fall for favorite season, but gotta love Christmas.
2: We're big Christmas people. Yeah. We, our whole apartment gets decked out. We have like Christmas lights everywhere. It's very cozy. Oh, I love that.
0: I love making things cozy. We celebrate the Christmas season in my house, um, Scandinavian style. And there's, I always pronounce it wrong, and I'm sure somebody will write in and correct me. We call it Hugi, H-Y-G-E-E style, where it's just means cozy and everybody gets new jammies and a book and we just and chocolate because chocolate is like the thing and we just all cuddle in and read and eat our chocolate and candlelight and it's just so calm i love that so i i get that with you guys so what's your favorite christmas movie then
2: we okay so every christmas day we have a tradition now where we watch four christmas movies because it's our favorites and we've done this for the past New Year's now. So we always watch Elf, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, and The Holiday. (gasps) Those are a combination of like our two, our favorites.
0: I love The Holiday. And I also love Elf. Elf makes me laugh out loud. Will Ferrell is amazing in Elf. So funny. (laughs) So funny.
2: I will say this year I wanted to add one. It's called Klaus. It was on Netflix and it was just such a heartwarming story. So if you haven't seen that one, I recommend that one as well.
0: I just jotted that down. I'm going to check that out. I'm always up for for a new one. I know my one sister likes to try and bring me over to the dark side and watch the Hallmark Christmas movies. and I don't know. I I think I'm just a little too jaded for for that, or I would need insulin. All right. My last question for you guys. What meal would you never say no to?
1: Pizza. Pizza. Pepperoni pizza.
0: Can you find good pizza in
2: Arizona? Yes, thankfully. Yeah.
0: Really, Eve yeah. coming from Chicago. That's that's big praise because you guys have some of the best pizza.
2: Well, they just actually opened Illuminati's here at Deep Dish Pizza, and that's actually we had a Deep Dish at our wedding, and that was the Deep Dish we had. So, you you guys served Illuminati's at your wedding? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that would have been like my favoriteest wedding of
0: all time people loved it wow <laughs> we were excited in minnesota when g i think it's pronounced g- Adar- g- oh, yeah. giardano's g- yeah. g- yes came to minnesota oh my gosh it was like a two-hour wait to even get a table there that and portillo's you know we think we've made it now oh so. yes
1: <laughs> yeah they opened up portillo's in arizona so.
0: <laughs> well i suppose all the snowbirds right they have to kind of keep everybody happy yes Wow. Well, you guys, this has been absolutely delightful and I'm definitely, hopefully you don't mind, but I'm going to reach back out to you and see how we can keep you plugged in because you guys are a great resource for a lot of the young diagnosed families and couples and individuals that are popping up. Um, don't feel like you're alone because now that the diagnostics are easier to come by um, and there are more and more doctors out there, becoming more familiar with mitochondrial disease, especially MILAS, it's one of the most researched forms of mitochondrial disease. I think you're gonna find a a community within that community. So I definitely wanna keep you guys plugged in as I think you have a great story and just an amazing outlook on things. I'm just so excited that we met.
2: Yes. Thank you so much. much.
0: Thank you guys.
2: We just really appreciate you letting us come on here and share our story. And we started an Instagram us and Milas. uh, So you can kind of follow along, but we're always, always uh, willing to talk to people and just share our stories and help People feel not as alone like we kind of did when we were first starting out and also to educate people who aren't in these communities about these communities and about the struggles and what we need more support on. So, yes, very, very thankful to have the time today and always willing to connect with people. That is awesome. I'm definitely going to put your Instagram
0: in the show notes so people listening can just go right in there, find the link and click in and just keep keep tabs on you too. I think that will be very inspirational for a lot of people. So thanks for sharing that.
1: And thank you so much for your time.
0: You bet, Jake. It was great to have you guys on. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Energy in Action. Remember to give us a five-star rating on your listening app. This helps to boost us up the charts and makes it easier for others to find us. You can find all of the links and details that we share today in the show notes or at mitoaction.org. Have a great day and we look forward to having you join us next time.